are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be joined by Nick Angstad from Locked On Mavs to discuss Luka Doncic's injury in the final game of the regular season, how that impacts the Dallas Mavericks moving forward, Luka's timetable for return, and who steps up for the Mavs if he is out. Then we chat with Doug Norrie from Locked On Nets as KD and Kyrie prepare to fight their way out of the play-in tournament. Are the Nets the most dangerous play-in team despite their struggles this season? Lastly, we talked to John Corrales of Locked On Celtics. The Boston Celtics finished with the number two seed in the Eastern Conference and have been the most dominant team in the NBA post-All-Star break. How they've had so much success and can the Celtics carry their play into the first round of the playoffs. Now today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has covered the season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, it's where the game starts. Also, appreciate you for making Locked on NBA your first listen each and every day. Joining us now is host one half of the Locked on Mavericks podcast and host of Locked on NBA, Nick Angstad. Nick, this Why am I here, the, Jackson? You are here because the universe apparently says that the <laughs> Dallas Mavericks cannot have nice things as oh. Luka Doncic is injured, walks away with a calf injury in the final game of the regular season. Now, Nick, before we talk about the injury itself and the implications from the injury, look, I understand that there were some slight like seeding implications here and that the Mavericks did have a chance to jump up to the three seed and like leapfrog the Warriors if they picked up a loss against the Pelicans. But the Pelicans were resting their entire roster. Like, and at this point, like, that's my thing is like, you see so many stars around the league that were resting in situations just like this. So how much of a black mark is this on the Mavericks if this costs them a playoff series? Jackson Gatlin. My friend, the multiverse was not quelled with this whole situation that happened with the Dallas Mavericks tonight because you have to. I'm going to even take you back even further. Friday night, Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks play a game. Luka Doncic gets his 16th technical foul. Tony Brothers just not having anything from Luka. The Mavericks are winning this game. There's no reason for Luka to get a, to get a technical foul. He gets a technical foul. He should have been suspended for this game. He should not have been playing in this game. However. The Mavericks requested and, and submitted for that technical foul to be rescinded. It was rescinded. And so Luca then played in this game. On Lockdown Mavs that night after the game, I said, it could be a positive that Luca's not playing in this game for rest and other reasons, such as what has transpired now. Uh, so yeah, the Maver- Luca should not have played in this game. So there's a different universe somewhere out there where this where that's happening and Luca didn't even play in this game. But yes, the Mavericks d- still did have something to play for in this, right? They could have still got the three seed if you know, the Mavericks had won, and if, if the Warriors had lost, then yes, it, you know, the Mavericks could have moved up to three. That's a much better place because then, say they win their first-round series, then you don't have to play the Suns in the second round, which is just, I mean, they're just a buzzsaw right now. Everybody knows them. And so, yeah, you, you go back to that, and should he have played? The, the other question is, so he, he shouldn't have played at all probably played for, and I believe that the Mavericks without Luka could have beaten that Spurs team, right? That young and experienced Spurs team. Pop had already said before the game that those that their starters weren't going to play that much. There's all kinds of different things with that, but why was he playing in the third quarter? I mean, I knew it was a I know it was a close game, and the Mavericks didn't really go on a run, but literally 
five minutes before Luca went down with the injury, my co-host Isaac Harris texts me and says, that's enough of Luca. The Mavericks have gotten a 15 point lead. And he said, that's enough for Luca. Take him out of the game. And they didn't do it quick enough because then Luca comes up with the calf injury. And uh, this one just seemed different than all the Luca quote unquote injuries that we've seen throughout his career. Yeah, I, I think that's the that's the next logical step here is we're going to check in with uh, Dr. Nick, if you will. And just you were in the my building. Stethoscope. I mean, <laughs> Let me get my Twitter stethoscope. <laughs> the on, the severity glasses. of it, right? Like, you know, we're not expecting a medical diagnosis, but the good news is, right, he, he looked like he kind of walked off at least under his own weight a little bit, which is maybe a good sign. And it wasn't necessarily like a world ending injury where we're not, we're not talking about a season ending injury here. Other players have come back from a calf strain like this within, you know, two to three weeks is sometimes usually the timeline. Yeah. You know, it's this, the Mavericks initially came out and said, and told, told Woj, you know, I'm pretty sure that Casey Smith just texted Woj or Woj just texted Casey Smith that the Mavericks were, were feeling optimistic about this. And Luca walked off on his own power. Like he, he came down and I said earlier that it wasn't like normal Luca injuries because there's a little bit of boy cries wolf with Luca, right? I, Anytime anyone that's listening has probably watched a Luka game, he gets injured in some way where you go, oh God, he's out for the rest of the game. And then he just stands up and runs to the other end and he's totally fine, right? We've seen that so many times with Luka. But what was different about this injury is he stopped. He immediately stopped as soon as he, so he planted back on his left foot. He tried to like, you know, jump off with his left foot to go back towards the three-point line. And as soon as he planted that left foot and tried to lunge forward and take a step forward, he stopped immediately. And he put his feet together and then he grabbed his left calf and started rubbing his left calf. And he didn't even try to go back on defense, didn't even try to look to see what was happening down there, which is why it seemed like a different injury than normal. And so now you look at what a timeline could be, and I'm, I'm going to go to the actual doc, like the actual doctors that, that track this stuff. And in Street Clothes on Twitter had a really, really good write-up on this just quickly. He said, you know, there's a lot of variables on calf strains. It depends on, on where it is. There's multiple muscles that make up a calf and all this stuff. It just depends on where it is and, and how bad it is. Um, the average time loss for a calf strain in the NBA this season was 16 days. Now, some of that is, you know, tears and things like that we we already hope from the from what the mavericks have said that it's not a tear it's not that bad and all that so some of those are outliers and they're going to take that average up the minimum was three days for this season for an nba player that had missed time with a calf strain so let's hope that it's that it's like literally that that like severe that it wouldn't be uh too bad that he's out for three days the mavericks do have five full days now they don't have to travel at all either that's all positive stuff he can start treatment on it like literally right now and he can start on that so that's all positive for the mavericks now the biggest question is obviously he's going to maybe miss some time of this first round series against the utah jazz obviously on the optimistic end of the timeline maybe he misses no time I Frankly, I don't necessarily see that happening. You know, it it looks severe enough that he's probably going to miss at least maybe a game or two. But obviously, we're kind of ballparking this. Don't we really do, have no idea whether he's going to miss time. We have no don't idea whether or not he's going to miss time. But Nick, if Luca is to miss some of this series against the Utah Jazz, first, I mean, how have the Mavericks looked without Luca this season? And who's going to be the guy that's going to start in his place if he does miss time? Yeah, the draw the Mavericks got is the 12 p.m. local time, like the the 12 noon local time on Saturday, like literally the first game, the first game Could, that they couldn't have gotten a worse draw. Literally that, the yeah. first game they could have played, and it's because they're the four five, the four five, the three six. They have to play on that Saturday because you know the the number ones and number two seeds don't even know who they're playing until, until Friday night necessarily. So uh, they had to play that game, but. 
The Dallas Mavericks without Luka Doncic this year have been so much better than they've been in the past. This has been a strength of this team. The beginning of the season when a lot of people that have MVP votes are touting that Luka started the season badly and didn't start the season well. The reason why the Mavericks won games in, in that stretch was because Jalen Brunson had been so good. The Jalen Brunson off the bench had carried the Mavericks. The Mavericks actually had a positive net rating when Luka was off the floor for a while to start the season. It didn't happen until after Luka came back from you know, COVID and injury that the Mavericks actually started flipping that script to where Luca's the minutes that Luca was playing were very positive. Like they have been in the past, but at the, to begin this season, the Mavericks were winning games because of their bench. They were winning games because of Jalen Brunson coming in and running the show and taking that next step forward and being the guy that can get his own shot when Luca's not there and being able to play next to Luca and not next to Luca all at the same time. And so that has been a big positive for this Mavericks team. And then you have to go back to, the Kristaps Porzingis trade. They trade away Kristaps Porzingis. They get a guy in Spencer Dinwiddie that can get his own shot. And now how much more valuable is that? That other ball handler, that other guy that can get to the rim, that other guy that can hit a three on his own without having to be set up, you know, all that stuff is so much more important now if Luka does have to miss any time with this injury. So now it's it's the Spencer Dinwiddie, Jalen Brunson show. And so I... They've had some some decent games against Utah. They've had some bad games against Utah this year. So it'll be fascinating to see how they're employed and how they're deployed, I guess, this year in, uh, if Luka plays. But Jalen Brunson was, was you know, after the game was was in a positive mood and said that he does believe that Luka is going to play. And he seemed to um, think about it more in a, in, a, in a positive way. It said he's a fighter. He's going to play that game. So I hope he plays game one, and I think he probably will. Will Luka Doncic miss any time against the Utah Jazz in the Dallas Mavericks first round series against them? Will Jalen Brunson and Spencer did when he have to step up in his absence? You're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Mavs. Nick, appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Absolutely. Coming up, KD and Kyrie have to fight their way out of the Eastern Conference play-in tournament. Are they the most dangerous play-in team in the association this year? But first, a quick message from our friends over at Built Bar. Because look, when it comes to protein bars, you have to check out Built Bar. They are the number one protein bar on the market. They've got so many incredible flavors to choose from. Raspberry, strawberry, cookies and cream, Coconut Brownie Chunk is the number one bar available. It's so good. Peanut Butter, Mint Brownie. You really can't go wrong with a single bar on their menu. Every single bar is coated in 100% delicious chocolate. They're soft. They're chewy. They're not gritty like other protein bars on the market. Every bar, low-cal, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. Amazing if you're on a keto diet. Amazing if you're trying to cut back a little bit, lose a little bit of weight. You can check them out. Just go to Built.com and use promo code LOCK15 to save 15% off your very next order of the best-tasting protein bars on the market. Again, that's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA Monday your first listen each and every day. For your next listen, be sure to check out the Locked On Now podcast, nightly recaps of every NBA game with analysis from our local experts. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us now is Doug Nori, one half of the Locked On Nets crew. You can follow him on Twitter at Doug Nori. Doug, the Nets. Play inbound, not exactly, you know, how a lot of people thought this season would go for the Brooklyn Nets. It's been a, a very long, winding journey for the Nets this season. But should the Nets be viewed as the scariest playing team across across both conferences, not just the Eastern Conference, but across both conferences this season? Or have they been maybe downgraded a bit given some of their struggles that they faced this season? 
No, they're clearly the scariest playing team. I think that's pretty obvious. Whenever you have a top at worst three player in all of basketball, like you are scarier than most other teams when it's a superstar driven league when there's a the threat that kevin durant could just play 48 minutes a game or whatever it's going to be like that that almost alone crazily enough makes you scarier than just definitely scarier than any other play playing team and frankly it's why it's why the nets still sit in terms of championship odds insanely third best third best third best championship odds in all of basketball even though they have not officially made the playoffs yet because they still need to win at least one more game but i think that probably speaks to why other teams would not want to play them right and so are they a perfect team no but they have easily the best player of any play-in team and it's not close and that alone has to scare you Absolutely. No. And, you know, it's hard to bet against Kevin Durant. No, absolutely. But since coming back as a full-time player, Kyrie Irving's, you know, putting up numbers, you know, still very Kyrie-esque, but his efficiency seems to be kind of like all over the place. Like you look up and down some of these games, you got six of 22, you've got nine of 26, seven of 22, like some, you know, really wonky numbers here and there. Not something I guess we're used to seeing out of him. Is there any concern about that as we're headed into, you know, a situation with the play in tournament being obviously the Nets are in a position where they'll, they'll have two chances to, you know, break it out of the play in. But is that at all concerning going to kind of a single elimination type scenario where maybe Kyrie has a bit of an off night efficiency wise? If he was the only player you relied on, then probably, I mean, 15 for 20 today, Jackson. So let's, uh, that's, that's fair. Like... We got to, we got to include the good with the bad for sure. Of course, of course. No, no, but I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah. He's, it's not exactly, it's, it's not on lock every single night. And that does concern you. He's a high volume shooter. Uh, he doesn't get to the line tons and tons uh, just for considering how many shots he actually takes. So he's not getting a ton of free looks. So you are reliant or living and dying on whether the shot is falling. And that's just kind of it on a night to night basis. It makes it scary. Pairing you with Durant means that you are even you can survive some non efficiency stuff. And just the pressure that he puts on defenses allows you to live with the off shooting nights. Yeah. When you're looking at uh, a play in style, one game, does it worry you a little bit? I think so, but not, it doesn't, it doesn't really worry me tons. We also seen that he has sort of like some big game stuff in him too, right? Like he has this rise to the moment uh, mentality. Um, you know, he drives people totally nuts uh, off the court stuff. So I, I, I get that piece of it, but um from a one game play in piece, I, I really don't worry about Kyrie's um, like one game line all that much. And I've definitely lived with long stretches where the shots not going in, or there's some curious shot selection stuff, but overall, no, I'm not, I'm not really worried about it only probably because I've steeled myself for what to sort of expect with this guy on a game to game basis. Now this play-in game that the Nets are about to you know, find themselves in against the Cleveland Cavaliers, we're going to be tipping that game off 7 p.m. Eastern time Tuesday evening uh, against some former Nets, if you will, with the uh, you know Jarrett Allen, Karis LeVert, the James Harden trade package, if you will. But uh, in, in this matchup, Doug, how have the Nets kind of fared against the Cavaliers this season? And what are some things that you think people should be on the lookout for between these two teams? Well, they played two games ago, and the Nets were able to take care of them at home. The Cavs put up a fight for sure, and they're going to do what the Nets do, which is play guys like Garland tons and tons of minutes. Um, I don't think Allen's going to be available for the game. And that really, I mean, the Cavs have just kind of really run bad on some of this injury stuff late in the season, and so they're the team that probably vaulted them to sort of out, you know exceed expectations is probably not the team they're fully bringing into this playing game. Um, they are 
but they're pretty sound. They have one elite scorer, at least in Garland. I'm not so worried about a lot of the matchup stuff. They have no one that can really handle Durant. We already saw that in a one-game sample. And really kind of don't have anyone that can handle Kyrie either. Like, they don't have a great – like, the, the point of attack defense isn't amazing. This is – if I will say this. Of all the teams they could have played in the play-in, this would have been my vote to – play first right like over atlanta even over charlotte um just in terms of how wing heavy charlotte is uh and that's sort of a problem for the nets overall athleticism of which they don't have tons and so i probably would have voted this to be the game i think the nets you know secretly would have said the same thing they just don't have exactly the right guys to match up against what the nets do very very well and don't have a ton of ways to punish the things that the nets are deficient at which is like getting on the offensive glass and stuff like that so they, I mean, they're minus eight favorites going into this game. They should win. And I don't think that Cleveland has tons of ways to exploit the Nets' biggest weaknesses. And I think that's probably going to be the tail of the game. Now, should the Nets find themselves, you know, getting past the Cavaliers here in this play? Well, and then they'll still have, you know, another shot if they don't make it past the Cavaliers because that's the beauty of the play in bracket. But there's, you know, reporting out there from Sham Sharania that Ben Simmons may be you know, ready to make a first round appearance should the Nets find themselves there. At this point, it feels like we've been going back and forth on this for a minute now. Doug, is is Ben Simmons going to play? Is he not going to play? It feels like there's a report coming out every other week saying he's ramping up, he's slowing down. You know, at this point, are are you even remotely entertaining the idea of seeing Ben Simmons on the floor for the Nets? Um, I'm, I'm entertaining it. Adam and I talked about it on the podcast for tomorrow. I'm entertaining it. But with the Nets, when you cover this team, the one thing you learn pretty quickly is that injury report injury reporting means almost nothing. The team is about as bad with this as any team in the NBA. Um, there's just all kinds of obfuscation. Like they just don't tell you the truth. No one ever knows. I.e., Shams is the one that has to kind of tell you that he might be in the playoff. Like right after Steve Nash does a presser that says he kind of doesn't know. And then Shams and Woj basically both say it's going to happen. It's just impossible to figure this team out when it comes to injuries. I will say the part where the Nets um, social media team has started putting out their own videos of Ben Simmons doing workouts. That's the first time I've actually thought, oh, hey, maybe this can happen. It's absolutely bonkers that this is the kind of way you need to interpret um, injury news from a team that you have to like, oh, the social media team put out a like reading video. tea leaves. <laughs> it's a worse, worse. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's at least tea leaves, like give you a little something like this is it's, it's totally bananas. It's so bad, but the, this has started to come out where there's a few more videos of him doing on court workout stuff. And that is the part where that's the first time where I've thought, okay, this is probably at least in their plans. Now, is it going to happen? There's been too many setbacks along the way to feel confident with it. Um, this is clearly not the player they thought they were getting when they were trading for him. I don't think that and whether it was due diligence is the problem or just bad luck or he re-aggravated things. I'm not exactly sure, but there's no chance that the Nets did not think that he was going to play in the regular season and then the playoffs. So at that point, I don't think they're being dishonest, but I also can't believe any of the timelines because the timelines have been nothing but wrong up until this point. So yes, good news. Yes. It seems like he's going to play. It'd be shocking. I mean, you know this, like playoff minutes are totally different. Like it'd be shocking for me to think that he could ramp up from zero to the most high leverage minutes you could ever play going from zero to 60. That just doesn't really happen. So I've tempered my expectations around this. I do think we end up seeing him. It'd be hard for me to imagine he has the impact that they thought they were getting when they traded him for him or what even Nets folks think is going to happen with him because it's just this this is unprecedented. He just hasn't played at all. 
Last thing here for you, Doug. What's the, what's the latest on Seth Curry, and is that ankle going to be something that is you know of major concern moving forward? Or is he going to be you know should be he be good to go for the play in? He said that he probably the only thing that's really going to heal him now is just extended rest of which he cannot get. So that's why they've been trying to pick and choose their spots with him. He tweaked it last game uh, to the point where he did not come out, but he probably could have. If it wasn't a really, really important game, I think he would have. And then he obviously sat this game against Cleveland. The ankle is not good. Um, they definitely need him. So they're, I think they sort of rolled the dice against the Pacers in this one and said, like I think my my guess is if it had been a better team, he actually would have played, right? If they were like if they but they were seventeen point favorites going to this game, I don't think they thought there was a functional way they were going to lose, so they just said, okay, we can sit him out. So it's I think it's a he could use probably an off season's worth of rest. He's not going to get it, and I think they're just going to try to grab every minute they can of rest and just um in recovery for him to be able for him to play. And I think that's where they are. I think it's just going to be a total load management thing for him, like a real load management, not the fake, you know, you got to sit out because it's the back-to-back -back or whatever. Like they really have looked at this and said, you know, he can't play 38 minutes a game because the ankle deteriorates over the course of the game. And I think that's where we are with him. And I think they're just going to have to hope they can get every minute and try to buy every minute they can, because they clearly, they clearly need what he brings to the table. No, Seth Curry is an incredibly important piece for this Nets team. If they want to make a deep playoff run, can they first get out of the play-in against the Cleveland Cavaliers? How deep of a playoff run can they make? You're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Nets. Doug, appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Uh, so much. Go Nets. Coming up, the Boston Celtics have finished with the number two seed in the Eastern Conference. Why have they been the most dominant team in the NBA post-All-Star break? How have they achieved this level of success? But first, a quick message from our friends over at Bet Online because Bet Online is your number one source for all of your sports betting needs, stats, and info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of Major League Baseball season. Speaking of playoffs, you can still get your money down on who you think is going to be the championship winner this season for the NBA playoffs. Right now, the Phoenix Suns are plus 275 to come away with the Larry O'Brien trophy and win it all. They are the odds on favorites. Bucks at plus 550. You've got the Brooklyn Nets at plus 700. And then bringing up the final two spots of the top five, Boston Celtics at plus 750. And the Golden State Warriors plus 850. So when it comes to Bet Online, it's your continued source of all of your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to their website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action available to you. We got the NBA playoffs right now. You can get in on that action. Go check out the numbers. Bet Online, it's where the game starts. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Joining us now is John Corrales from Locked On Celtics, also Locked On NBA Wednesdays. You can follow him on Twitter at John underscore Corrales. John, looking at the Celtics, finishing it, well, in a three-way tie, technically, you know, but they're at the top of the Eastern Conference, the number two overall seed in the Eastern Conference. Do you, did you even remotely imagine, th you know, thinking about where this team could get to and, and seeing them at this point, given the way that the season started for the Celtics and the, the, the struggles that they faced early on? You know, I, I was always confident in a turnaround because I always thought that they were better than they, they were showing. Um, they were obviously very frustrating. Uh, I don't think anybody could have predicted a, a team that, 
you know, briefly got that top seed for, you know, at least a couple of days. Um, there was a stretch there when they were starting to win a few. I thought back in January because they had just come off a horrible December. December was when we, when we saw the schedule, I, I knew December was going to be a bear. Um, I thought January might be an opportunity to, okay, a little bit easier competition. They started to get healthy. I thought maybe they could get a four or five game win streak together. They, they got better than that. And then you start to look down and say, Hey, you know, 50 wins is not out of the question, but that's such a long shot with this team. And they just kept on going, kept on going, kept on going. And next thing you know, man, like you start to see, okay, some continuity with these guys. They got healthy. Everybody's in their normal spots. Marcus Smart's the point guard. Dennis Schroeder's kind of like was minimized and then traded. And you start to see how everything started to pick up. You started to see how Jason Tatum was buying into what Ime Odoka was trying to get him to do and Jalen Brown and Robert Williams. All of these guys just started to play great. And Brad Stevens recently said this, and it's a perfect summation. It the Their best players reached unbelievable levels and their their role players raised their games as well and and that when that all happens you've got yourself a really really good team yeah this i mean you look at this team you make the pretty firm argument i feel like the celtics have been the best team in the nba since the all-star break and the numbers yeah. kind of support that they're 17 and 5 post all-star break and they've got an insane number one in offense number four in defense and they have a whopping 12.7 net rating. That's, John, that's five points higher than the next person on the yeah. list, next team on the list. They've been it's playing wild, right? some really dominant basketball. Is there, I know you mentioned, you know, the buy-in from Jason Tatum, from Jalen Brown, the guys at the top, right? The role players kind of like hitting their ceilings, really fulfilling each of their, you know, specific niche roles, all of that. But is there is there a singular thing you can point to? Is it is it just Ime Udoka at the helm that they've just bought into what he's trying to do? And that's where this turnaround kind of came from? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think it starts with him. Like he is the epicenter of this. He's the sun, and the rest of these guys are the planets revolving around him. You still need that full solar system, but th that I think is where we're, we're at. Let's the, the the breakdown for me is this: it was they, the Celtics were eighteen and twenty one, so that's um, their lowest point. They were eleventh. They're thirty three and ten since then. Ime Udoka has been consistent throughout this whole thing. He he's been he said from the beginning, um, we're trying to break some bad habits, and that doesn't happen overnight. And he compared it to raising children, where you you know you can tell some kids no, and they're still going to do things until you keep saying no, and then they finally come around and they realize, okay, I actually do have to listen, and. I don't want to turn it into uh, something that that I don't want to marginalize the players because this it's at this level it's a very collaborative effort. But Ime was stern and very direct, and this is this is if you're going to be Jason Tatum MVP candidate, you can't keep doing it the way you're doing it. We're, you got to grow. You the the best players out there, the the MVP candidates make their other teammates better and and Tatum wasn't making his teammates better necessarily he was out there just winning games on his own by 
getting hot and, and scoring 50, you know, in, in prior seasons. This year when he was scoring 50, he was doing it with some assists. He was doing it uh, organically. He it, it was a very – it's a very different Jason Tatum. So it starts with Ime saying, this is how we're going to do things. And if you're not going to do things, then we're, we're going we're gonna to pull you into a film session. We're going to call timeouts. I'm going to get on your ass. And you're, we're going to try to do things this way. The guys all bought in. They all fell in line. And you just go one after another after another. Once, once everybody buys in and it's all the same page, you're all on the same page, then that's when special things happen. And especially defensively. That's, that's the whole thing. You, you know, you had capable players defensively, but the scheme works and they're bought into the scheme. When you got talent, scheme, and effort, that's, those are the three elements to an elite defense. You know, th this this Celtics team, I know you mentioned the health aspect a little bit earlier there. Unfortunately, right, a, a huge blow to this Celtics team was losing Robert Williams. It just who has stepped up kind of in his absence? Has it been one guy in particular? Has it been more of a collective effort to replace his production for this team? Well, I, I think, so Daniel Tice has actually been pretty good. Um, I compare him to a spare tire where you put that little donut on your car and you can still get to where you need to go just can't do all the stuff that you used to be able to do. And you, you know, you can't drive over 55. You can't take a hard turn, but you can still get to where you're going. And, and Tice, the thing about Tice is he can still roll and catch lobs. You just got to throw the lobs a little lower for him, you know, and, and he might catch them and lay them up or he might catch it, come down and go up on the other side. So he can still do a lot of the things that Robert Williams does fundamentally he just can't do them spectacularly and so you still see some guys on the other team like there's no fear there with Tice lurking around the, the attacking the basket is a little more brazen and and some guys on the, defensively on the perimeter for the Celtics had gotten pretty used to having Rob back there so you can kind of let guys go by you can kind of gear them steer them into a certain thing and you know Tice is there but you know he's fouling them instead of blocking their shots so but for now he's he's been fine and you know you get Al Horford and you get a little bit of uh, Grant Williams and all of that but the Celtics have gotten by can they get through a first round series like this you know the hope is that they the rest of the guys can kind of do enough where yeah, you can get through a first round series. And and the good news with Robert Williams is everybody keeps talking about him coming back sooner rather than later. I, I think the four to six weeks, Ime Odoka wants to stick to that four to six weeks, but you can tell when he's talking, he's like, he wants to say it won't be four to six, but he, he's just saying we, we're not ruling. We're not, we're not expecting him back. We can't rule it out because you never know. But I think the Celtics are hopeful, very strongly hopeful, that it'll be sooner than the four weeks, which could put them in the first round. Okay, so I'm, gl I'm glad you made, you cleared that up because I the, the way that you were kind of impressing upon Emo's message there is it wasn't 100% sure if it was going to be longer than, than the four to six weeks, no, unfortunately. It's, but it's, not, no, right, no, it's the short end. It's the short end. He's already he's already rehabbing. He's already doing two-a-days. And, and, and the thing about a meniscus is it's not a ligament. It's not a muscle. It's, it's a, a disc of cartilage. And so if there's, if you cut out what you need to cut out and there's no, 
risk of re-injury like there is with a hamstring or, you know, a strained MCL or something like that. This is just a piece of padding that you've cut out the little offending piece and you, after minor surgery, you got to strengthen the knee back up and all that stuff, but there's no impact on his explosion. Now, some guys have a more significant tear of their meniscus and they miss a significant amount of time. This has been a minor tear and it's it's been compared enough to guys who come back quickly that I I know the Celtics won't tell the media this, but they are saying without saying they expect him to expect him to be back more quickly. When exactly that is, they're not they're definitely not saying publicly because they don't want to jinx anything or get people's hopes up. But I'm I'm reading the tea leaves and I'm betting that he's back potentially in the middle of this first round series. Which speaking of the, the Celtics are staring down the barrel of a potential first round series between that of the Brooklyn Nets or the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now I think there's probably a preference here, right? If you're sta- if you're a Celtics fan staring down the barrel of those two options, sure. that's, and, and there's, there's clearly a favorite in that play in series as well between the Nets and Cavs. Now I, John, I know there's no love lost between Celtics fans <laughs> and Kyrie Irving specifically. How uh, how much of a show are we in for should the Nets <laughs> find their way out of the play-in tournament and be matched up with the Celtics in this uh, this two-seven bracket? I think I think Boston will have some motivation uh, for sure. It's also the, the team that knocked them out in the first round last year, and the Celtics weren't healthy. You know, no Jalen Brown. Um, and Tatum put on an incredible show in that series, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think a lot of people are afraid of the nets and I get it. You got Kevin Durant and, you know, Kyrie Irving, but look, we joke that, you know, yes, Cleveland would obviously be the better matchup, but also there's no Jared Allen or like Cleveland type rim protection in Brooklyn. So for, for all of the legitimate reasons to fear Brooklyn, there are legitimate reasons to fear Cleveland defensively. And, you know, you, Jason Tatum likes to get to the rim. And, you know, if you take that away, then that changes a little bit of the dynamic. If if Brooklyn Brooklyn's defense can't stop Tatum from getting to the rim, yeah, it's going to be tough to stop Kevin Durant. But, like, what do you, if you can't stop – you can't stop Jason Tatum. Then you got to overreact to Jason Tatum. And the way this season has been going is very obvious that he's, his assists have gone up. He will move the ball. I just, I actually don't fear the Brooklyn Nets at all. I think this will be, this could be a five or six game series against Brooklyn. And so it'll be fun. And I think the Celtics will pick on Kyrie Irving defensively a lot and Celtics fans will love to see that because the Celtics fans obviously have a little thing for uh Kyrie. So yeah, it'll be a fun series for Boston because there will be a lot of score settling going on. Can the Celtics carry their dominant post all-star break play into the postseason? Who are they going to find themselves matched up with in the first round? John, you're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at locked on Celtics. Appreciate you stopping by locked on NBA with me. You got it, my man.
And that's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, the brand new Odyssey app, free and available on all platforms. Also, be sure to check out the new Locked On NBA YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA, like, comment, subscribe, all of that. But as always, thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts.